On this week's episode of Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast, we'll be catching up with Travis Jackson of HV Pucks. He was out in Buffalo for the state hockey tournament, so we'll be talking about Queensbury and their trip to the Division II final. We'll also be talking about high school basketball, including a local guy who was named Mr. New York Basketball for 2018-2019, and we'll also talk a little bit about a bowling team out of Lansingburg who went out to Syracuse and came back with a state title. All this on this week's episode of Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. This is Rob Jones from CapitalRegionHighSchoolSports.com. So let's get into the basketball end of things, shall we? Uh, state championships will be taking place this weekend. The boys' tournament is down in Binghamton, while the girls' tournament is over at Hudson Valley Community College. We've got six Section 2 teams that have advanced to the state semifinal round. Four on the boys' side and two on the girls' side. On the boys' side... Regional finals took place last weekend. Uh, Class A, Troy defeated Jamesville DeWitt 78-56. That was a nice convincing victory out there in Syracuse for the team from Troy. Uh, Just to give you guys some idea how the scoring went. Uh, Latif Johnson, he poured in 32 points. Latif Faison, he had 18. And Jaquan Moore had 10. So, a nice victory for Troy. They're going on to the state semifinals, as I said. Uh, in Class B, we had uh, Glens Falls pulling out an 84-76 victory over Ogden- Ogdensburg Free Academy. Um, in that game, Joseph Gerard III, you know, he did what he usually does. He poured in 46 points to get the Indians into the state semifinals. That offset a 37-point performance, mind you, from Jackson Jones from OFA. So, Glens Falls will be in the state semifinals as well. In Class C, Lake George, which recently has been pushed by their opponents. Well, they got pushed again, but they pulled out a 54-46 to victory over Moriah to keep their win streak going and get to the state semifinals again. Um, in that game, Mason Flatley, he had 19 points. And Chris Becker had 18 points. Um, Mariah just really couldn't keep up with that kind of production. So, Lake George, they are also in the state semifinals this weekend. And in Class D, in the game that I get got to see, uh, Oppenheim made Friday St. Johnsville. They overcame a two-point halftime deficit, and they really trailed for a good chunk of the uh, first half. But they came back uh, and outscored Wells at Section 7, uh, 34 to 15 in the second half to pull out a 57 to 40 victory. Um, in that one, uh, Tyler Leon, he really dominated on both ends of the floor. He had 25 points and I believe something like 10 rebounds. Um, Jaden Logan Dillenbeck, he contributed uh, 10 points. Um, they, he had a key three-pointer in the game, as did Chris Martin off the bench. Zach Mosier, he had a couple of three-pointers. So, really, I mean, once OESJ got going in that game, 
Wells just really could not keep up. So OESJ is the fourth Section 2 team going on to the state semifinals on the boys' side. The only boys' team not to make it to Binghamton this year is Saratoga, Class AA rep. Uh, they lost to Section 3 champion West Genesee 70-55. to um, Really, you know, Saratoga actually uh, led quite a bit in this game, but West Genesee roared back and wound up winning this thing in overtime. Um, Will Amica, he led West Genesee with 25 points. Saratoga had more of a bounce attack. Uh, Aiden Holmes had 12, and Nate Chetty had 10. So, congratulations on a great season for Saratoga. On the girls' side, um, as I said, there are two teams that will be two teams that will be going on to the state semifinals. Uh, Class C, Cambridge, they defeated Mariah sixty to forty-seven in the regional final. There, uh, just a little thing or two about Cambridge. Uh, once again, the Phillips Twins were the uh, main uh, point scorers for the Indians. Uh, Lily Phillips had 22 points, and her twin Sophie had 18. Uh, Stacia Epler contributed 11 points in that one. And then in Class D, uh, Notre Dame Bishop Gibbons kept its um, playoff, uh, playoff season going here. Uh, they defeated... Uh, Westport 49-24 really this game really was never in doubt from the get-go defensively Bishop Gibbons really dominated offensively Abby Kenzel and Ava McGarry each had 12 points so the Lady Knights will be playing in the uh, Class D uh, State Semifinals on Friday over HVCC uh, two other Section 2 teams competed in regional finals, both losing. Um, probably the biggest heartbreaker was in Class B, where Mechanicville had a 13-point lead going to the fourth quarter, and then Canton, now Section 10, uh, outscored them 25-11 to over the final eight minutes to pull out a 58-57 to victory. Um, Charlie Goversky had a 21-point game for Mechanicville in that one. Uh, it's a shame that Mechanicville, Mechanicville couldn't hold on, but they obviously had a great season nonetheless. And in Class AA, uh, West Genesee pulled out a 57-50 victory over Shenandoah out there in Syracuse. In that one, um, it was kind of a back-and-forth affair in the first half before West Genesee pulled it out in with a um, good uh, second half for them. Um, really, Chen, you know, they didn't really have one dominant scorer in this one. Simone Walker wound up leading, leading them with 11 points. But, you know, Mackenzie Smith, she had 25 for West Genesee. So, West Genesee is a team that will be coming to Hudson Valley Community College to compete in the Class AA state semifinals. So, there you have the recap of what happened on the basketball regional front and who's going on to the state semifinals from section two uh we'll see how our teams do there if i had to make a pick as to who has the best chance of winning a state title <clears throat> probably probably lake george i mean 
you know, I know they've been pushed quite a bit in the last uh, couple of games, but, you know, as I said, you know, the matchups really favor Lake George because they have a big athletic guy in the middle and Chris Becker. They've got a great shooter, Mason Flatley. The other guys really, you know, also can contribute on that team. It's just really a matter of, you know, can they keep it going for two more games? I think they can. So we'll see. Um, and one other basketball note, um, BCANY, don't ask me what the initial stands for. I think it's like the Basketball Coaches Association of New York. But don't quote me on that. Um, <clears throat> they handed out their uh, Mr. and Mrs. or not Mr. and Mrs. Mr. and Ms. New York Basketball Awards over the past week. And it really shouldn't come as a surprise that uh, Joseph Gerard III from Glens Falls was named Mr. New York Basketball. Um, he's just he's just been incredible, obviously. I could go over all of his achievements both this year and over his career, you know, averaging, you know, 40 some odd points per game this year, once again, scoring more than 4,000 points, the only New York high school basketball player to ever do that. But obviously, you know, this is an honor that's well deserved for JG3. And, you know, congratulations to him. Um, and in case you're wondering, uh, Aubrey Griffin from Ossining, uh, she was named Miss New York Basketball uh, on Tuesday. So congratulations to Gerard and uh, Griffin, and good luck with your basketball careers. So now when we get back here on Capital Region High School Sports Podcast, I'll have my interview with Travis Jackson uh, from HV Pucks. He was out in Buffalo for the state hockey tournament. Got a lot to talk about, so we'll get right to that when we get back here on Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. Welcome back to Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast with myself, Rob Jonas from CapitalRegionHighSchoolSports.com. Last week, I introduced you folks to one of Section One's preeminent hockey followers and fans and correspondents. His name is Travis Jackson from HV Pucks. That's his podcast, and he's also on Twitter as Five Minute Major, or as we know him better, Trav Jacks Seventy One. So, Travis, welcome back to Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. Rob, thank you so much for having me on again. I really do appreciate it. Fresh off my uh, my trip to Buffalo. Yes, and we are going to get right into it, folks. Sure. So let's talk about what happened in the Division Two playoffs. Division One playoffs, of course, uh, Syracuse won that one over Suffern. Yep, yep they sure did. But in Division Two, II, Section Two's Queensbury got all the way to the final. The way they, they did, did that was – they first knocked off Section 1 champ John Jay Cross River early Friday morning. They did. Uh, talk about what happened with that one, because we were expecting a defensive battle, and yep. it turned into more of a one-sided affair. 
Yeah, it really did. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I was, and I mentioned this the last time you and I were on, um, and I even mentioned it when I interviewed Dean Williams, you know, as I may have mentioned prior to uh, the playoffs last year, prior to Buffalo, I should say the final four, John Jay had knocked Queensbury out at the regional game. So in preparation for my interview with Dean Williams last week, I was, I was texting with him. I said, Hey Dean, wouldn't it be something if John Jay and Queensbury met in the state semis? And that's exactly what happened. And I know that, uh, the boys didn't like the way that they went out against John Jay uh, the prior year. And that kind of gave them the motivation to, you know, really hit the ground running um, this past season. I think it's important for the audience to know that Queensbury um, had only allowed 48 goals all season, you know, coming into uh, the, the uh, final four in Buffalo. So they are a very defensive minded team. I think that they really, you know, wanted to stick it to John Jay. Um, you know, what they say about revenge. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, they just, the, the, the Indians couldn't get anything going. Um, you know, again, we're talking about the defense first and foremost for uh, Queensbury, you know, you had Mason uh, Wildermuth and uh, uh, Tyler Vogel. Uh, they really don't allow a lot of top quality chances. Um, and then their goalie, o- Owen Smith. I mean, he looks sharp, but he didn't really have to make too many saves. I have the totals, um, which I can get to in a little bit. Um, the, I think John Jay was fortunate to get out of the first period uh, scoreless tie. And, um, you know, but then again, come the second period, you know, Queensbury just decided to open it up. So, uh, and Eric Sasimovich, who is normally uh, very strong in between the pipes, just, you know, uh, hockey is a game of mistakes and inches and bounces, and the bounces just didn't seem to go John Jay's way. Um, Eric Sasimovich is, is is a heck of a goalie. Uh, you know, I think I think the world of the kid, and you know, there were just a couple of chances, uh, you know, um, where he just didn't didn't get it done. Yeah, but I mean, you and I both thought that at the very least, the way the two teams were defensively, you know. Aligned, I guess you could say. Yep. yep. Um, you had to wonder what was it about Queensbury's offense that allowed them to get through John Jay's defense as often as they did? Because well, I, I think it can best be best be explained or, or emphasized um, within the first thirty minutes of the game. You know, after two periods, John Jay was being outshot thirty to nine by Queensbury. Mm-hmm. So Queensbury just, you know, kept continuing to fire at will, kept continuing to, you know, they had a strong forecheck and they kept continuing to capitalize on any mistakes that the Indians would make. The Indians just couldn't seem to get anything going, you know, as far as a first pass out of their zone. And it just seemed like almost everything that Queensbury kind of shot either bounced off somebody or they were able to, you know, get a rebound or get a second chance. And I think they just, I don't know if they wanted it a little bit more than John Jay, but they just simply seemed to outwork the Indians, um, you know, almost at every every turn of the game. So then, of course, Queensbury gets to the final against yep. Kenny Atlas against uh, from Section Three. Yep. And it was a role reversal because it was it was a tale of two, almost a tale of two games, if you will. Right, because I mean, like the first, you know, like the semifinal game, you know, the first period it winds up being a scoreless tie. But in the second period and in the third period, it just seemed like, in this case, Scandiatalis was the team that got its offense rolling and Queensbury really couldn't do anything to stop them. 
Right. You know what? I do just want to mention something else. I made an error when I was talking before. I was I was confusing the two games. I, I watched six games last weekend, and I kind of all melded together. Um, I do want to say that uh, the Spartans took a one nothing lead early in the opening period when Braden Ordway, who actually had the opportunity to interview post game. Um, you know, made a nice pass to Brendan Murphy, you know, who, uh, who risked one just past uh, Eric Sasimovich at a, the 11-10 mark in the first period. Sasimovich had to make 11 saves in that period, again, going back to the semifinal game. And uh, John Jay only was able to generate three shots on the other end uh, in the first period. So, um, and I think the future definitely looks bright. Because, as you mentioned, after the handshakes and after, you know, the, the awards have been presented, I know that Dean Williams was already talking to the, uh, the Spartans after the finals, the loss in the finals to Skinny Atlas, already talking about next year. Mm-hmm. And, you've got, and you've got players like Brendan Duffy. You've got players like Bra- Braden Ordway, um, who was named to the all-tournament team, um, you know, up there at, at, um, at States. So, you know, if you can build around young guys like that, um, and I also think it's important for the fan. The fans probably know this. This is this is Queensbury's sixth trip to the Final Four, and their second appearance in the title game. You know, so I, I think again, like last year, they got bounced by John Jay and didn't like the way that that felt. Didn't like the way that that their season ended. I wouldn't be surprised if John Jay, I'm excuse me, if Queensbury does everything possible to get back to uh, the Final Four in Buffalo, especially based on the way they they went out this year. And, I mean, it should also be pointed out that when you mentioned that Queensbury going into the Final Four had allowed a grand total of 48 goals. Correct. Uh, think about this for a sec. They play in a, in a league around here where you've got high-scoring teams like Bethlehem, Shen, uh, Albany Academy, and Queensbury was maybe – I don't know if there was a game where they actually allowed more than a couple of goals um, – you know, or three goals in the game, they really did an excellent job defensively to pull that off because there are some really good offenses around section two. I know I have, I have nothing but respect. I know I said this last time I was on and and the kids know I have nothing but respect for the five, one, eight and everything that they've got going on. I was fortunate enough this past season to see Bethlehem in person, to see Shenandoah, Saratoga, Burnt Hills, Boston Spa, Queensbury, Albany Academy. You know, so I know I know what kind of offensive punch those teams um, can provide. The Spartans ended the season fifteen seven and one, um, but again, I think they you know forechecking you know really is 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 one of their strengths, and they just weren't able to get that going against uh, Skinny Atlas. They really weren't able to produce much offense. They only had one goal, and that goal came in the third period. Um, you know, it's almost like too little, too late. Uh, but I also think it's important, you know, Skinny Atlas, uh, you know, they, they have, this is their fourth state title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, you know, what kind of seeing them come into the, to the final four, I almost want to say they were kind of, you know, labeled as the favorites. Um, I'm actually going to have coach Mitch major on my show, uh, sometime next week, along with the head coach, Neil Purcell of the, uh, Syracuse Cougars, because I think it's important to have the state champs on, regardless of where they're from. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, again, Queensbury had some trouble getting the puck out of its own zone. Um, and that was, again, a product of just the Lakers, kind of the Lakers strong floor check and uh, Skinny Atlas's, you know, style of play. Yeah. So one of the things that we need to bring up, though, you know, as we wrap up the hockey season. Yes. Um, 
the state playoffs, the regionals and the state semis and finals, were played differently than the regular season around New York State. They because, were. Because the New York State Public High School Athletic Association, during its winter meetings, um, there was a bit of a, I, I don't know if I want to call it a controversy, but basically what happened was, um, to my understanding, the um, union or the association that represents high school hockey referees across yep. New York State yep. um, said that during the state tournament, they were yep. they wanted their officials to get 13% raise or 13% more pay because yep. of the fact that the period lengths had gone from 15 minutes to 17 minutes during the regular season. And the state public high school athletic association decided, you know, I, I don't know if they decided they couldn't really afford it or it was, just wasn't budgeted that way. But basically what happened was the hockey committee took a vote. It wound up being a split vote with the chairman uh, deciding at the very end yep. to, you know, revert back to the way things had been in high school hockey, which is 15 minute periods with a minute and a half for a minor penalty um, and then four minutes for a major. Um, now you've spoken with, you know, a lot of the coaches uh, at the state tournament, all the coaches actually at the state tournament about this change. Um, what did they say about it? Because I mean, they had during the season, they were game planning for the longer periods and for the yep. longer penalty kills. Yep. Now all of a sudden, once they got to regionals and then to States, now they had to change their, you know, change, change their change their game plan. Right. Um, I have to tell you, I interviewed 14 coaches throughout the regular season, and every single one of them that I spoke to were in favor of the rule changes. Uh, they liked the fact that they could, you know, now have two power play units, two penalty kill units. You know, some of your more skilled teams, some of your deeper teams. Um, you know, you got to see more of their offensive abilities. Uh, I think it kept more teams honest because. You know, again, teams had to be more disciplined. You don't want to spend an extra 30 seconds in the box. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that as far as Section 1 goes, uh, the state said that, you know, for regionals they wanted to make sure that the rules went from 17 to 15. But I know in Section 1 they unanimously voted to have all playoff games be played at the 15-minute, minute-and-a-half uh, format. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I spoke to a couple of coaches, um, you know, Bob Schelling, particularly from Suffern, felt that it was unfortunate that they played, you know, a, you know, the majority of the season, 16 games with the rules. And, uh, you know, again, but, but, you know, on the flip side, everybody was impacted by this. So it wasn't like just Section 1 had to play it this way. You know, the entire state made that change, you know. Um, and, again, as long as the rules work for everybody, you know, I remember talking to Ed Witsy, he, he wasn't really crazy about the fact that Edwards, the coach of Pella, may have won the states in 2017. You know, you play the regular season under one set of rules and go into the playoffs under another set of rules. And this is something that could have easily been avoided, Robin. You kind of explained everything uh, perfectly, you know, as far as what my understanding of this is as well. You know, we had a year to, to plan for this. I remember being at the Section 1 coaches meeting uh, the year of the 2017-2018 season it was beginning. And everybody knew we were going to go from to 17 to 2. Um, and like you said, the New York State Hockey Officials Association filed a grievance, rightfully so. The officials deserve more money. They're on the ice for a longer time. And 
you know, rather than pay them the extra money, they decided to uh, revert back to the 15 minute man half. And uh, it all comes down to the money. Right. It's also my understanding that um, officiating stipends for state playoffs are determined every three years by averaging the officiating fee in each of the 11 sections. I know that section one was among only two sections that gave hockey officials a raise after the new rules were put in place. Um, and I know that the powers that be at NISPA were worried about the fact that, you know, again, they do have a protocol in place. Again, they do look at uh, uh, renegotiating with the officials every three years. And if they wind up giving the hockey referees more money without going through the proper steps and process, what's to stop the basketball officials from wanting more money or the, you know, baseball or whatever the other the other sports are. So uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, I don't think that the rule changes affected one way or another the outcome of the finals. I think Skinny Atlas and Syracuse, both of Section 3, I might add, uh, deserve the wins. Uh, they, they played well. They, they proved themselves to be the best teams in the state. But again, I just I hope that um, you know, we get our acts together because it doesn't really make us look all that good. Know, across the tri-state area when New York decides to implement one set of rules and then before the uh, playoffs, before the postseason, decide to go back. It's definitely a step back. So, yeah. Now, do you get the sense, because I'm sure they're going to revisit everything, you know, before we get to the next hockey season. Yeah. Do you get the sense that maybe uh, the athletic association will – you know, the hockey committee they're in will decide to go back to the 17-2 structure, or do you think that they're going to, because they might be in the middle of the contract with the officiating um, union, do you think they might have to keep it at 15 and one and a half uh, through the 2019-2020 season? You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not committed. I'm not really in a position to make a decision either way. I have to tell you, there's a lot of other factors that go into this too. Talking about ice time, Rob, I know ice time down here in section one in the lower Hudson Valley portion of New York state is extremely expensive when you compare it to section five, section six, you know, some of the other upstate sections. So I'm definitely going to touch base with the uh, hockey chairman in this area, Dean Barardo, and see if I can get a, a sense from him as to what direction they're going. Although I think it is interesting to note that section one, did vote to go back to the 15 minute and a half, uh, and most of the upstate uh, sections decided, you know, wanted to keep it um, 17. So I think if they can find a way to, you know, work things out with the officials and, uh, you know, roll this, you know, roll this back out the right way, I'd like to see it go back to 17 and 2 because I thought it was, you know, listen, anything that's going to get us more hockey, I'm all for. It, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anything to LinkedIn hockey games in general, right. yes. Correct. But, and, and, you know, let's face it. I mean, a lot of these kids, when they get to, you know, if they get, you know, fortunate enough to play collegiate hockey, for example, yep. They, yep. those are 20-minute periods. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if they're playing 17-minute periods in high school, it bridges the gap between, you know, the the youth ranks and the collegiate ranks all Absolutely. that much better because, you know, these kids are going to have a little bit more skating time per game, which means that they can, you know, physically prepare for that. And then when they, if they do wind up playing collegiately, they can, you know, they don't have to 
make such a huge leap in terms of their uh, training and their preparation to play the coll- the collegiate game because they'll be kind of halfway there. Exactly. You know, and the other thing, I don't remember exactly who tweeted it out, but after we rolled back from 17 to 15 and, and two minutes to a minute and a half, someone tweeted out, you know, that's why more and more kids aren't playing high school hockey because they can't get their acts together at the state level. And I, I think there is some truth behind that. I mean, it is unfortunate that uh, this great sport of ours just, you know, doesn't always seem to to be able to make the consistent decisions in the best interest of its athletes. And um, and again, you know, I I I I know all the folks at NISPA real well. They've been nothing but supportive of me, and I know that this really wasn't Robert Zayas's decision. Um, you know, again, I I know that he tried to work it out um, to get the officials more money so that we could keep that. Uh, 17 minute, two minute um, format, mm-hmm. but uh, just didn't seem to work out that way. So, but hopefully we can get back to the drawing board and uh, get all the stakeholders together and work out something that that benefits everybody, the officials, the players, you know, everybody. Exactly. So as we wrap up the hockey season, obviously uh, up here we're getting into the transitional time to, yep. you know, sports like baseball and lacrosse and all that. What are you going to be doing during the off season? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. The first thing I'm going to be doing is reconnecting with my family <laughs> because, uh, you know, this, this hockey journey starts for me in September, actually, because I do cover a lot of the club hockey teams around here. Um, I, you know, HV pucks will live on, I'm probably going to release one episode a month uh, during the off season. I plan on interviewing former uh, high school players that are either playing club or playing junior hockey somewhere. Um, I also am going to look for hockey in strange places. Last year, um, I discovered a a sled hockey uh, team in Westchester County. Um, Some tremendous, tremendous athletes that, uh, you know, that are still continuing to play the game. Um, that they love. Uh, I, I found uh, a group of players that have been getting together on Tuesday nights at the Harvey School in Katona for the past 44 years. That game is known as Hockey Night in Katona. It's every Tuesday night. You know, so during my off-season journeys, I'm always looking for high. I found I even found about a roller hockey league uh, in Westchester County that features a lot of ice hockey players that just want to kind of keep their conditioning and keep their skills sharp. So, um, uh, that's also where I'll put a call out to the listeners. If you know of a hockey league or a hockey-related topic that you think would be interesting to our listeners, our followers, by all means, you can tweet me at TravJack71 on Twitter, and I'll be more than happy to do a little bit of digging and see who I can get on the show. Uh, but my plan is to uh, you know, still stay connected, keep my, uh, my fingers uh, you know, on the pulse of, of the sport while we're gearing up for another exciting season. So I can't wait. Uh, well, Travis, thank you for being on the show for the uh, second pleasure. week in a row. Thank my you for pleasure. doing that. My pleasure. And uh, when we get around to hockey season in 2019-2020, I'll be uh, calling on you a couple times at least so we can talk about what's going on in Section 2 and Section 1. Because I, I think, it. I think, I mean, among other things, I know one thing, usually around here, uh, first weekend of hockey, which is always since Thanksgiving. Um, yep. They used to be known as the Shaker Colony and other Capital District Jets. They do like a Thanksgiving tournament where Mamaroneck comes up for a couple of games. Yep. So yep. We're, we're expecting to see Mamaroneck again up here around, uh, you know, the, you know, on Black Friday, basically. Um, 
And if I can work, if I can work out my schedule, Rob, maybe I'll make a trip up to the capital area black Friday and check out the the Tigers play in that tournament up there. I I usually check out tournaments that are local down here, but maybe I'll mix it up next year and come up and and check some stuff out. All right. Yeah, definitely. All right. right. Travis, thank you again for being on the show. Travis Jackson, he hosts HV pucks, the podcast down in, Section one, he also is on Twitter as Five Minute Major or TravJax71. And yep. that's Jax with J A X, just so you yep. know. And <laughs> um, Travis, thank you for your insights. And we'll talk again soon. Hey, listen, Rob, thank you again so much for having me on. Um, I wish you nothing but success with the, the show. I love what you're doing. Keep up the great work. And we'll talk soon. All right, my friend? You got it, Travis. Thanks very much. Right. And, we, now. and we will be back on Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast, right after this. In other high school sports news, the state bowling championships took place last weekend out in Syracuse, and... Lansenburg's boys bowling team came away with a dominating performance to win the Division II team championship. The Knights, um, they were really very consistent the whole uh, tournament. They knocked down 3,100 pins during the first three games in the morning and then came back with another strong performance in the afternoon to finish with a score of 62-13 which was more than 300 pins in the their closest competitor. Um, Cody Genthner and Michael Connolly were, you know, the top two bowlers for Lansingburg and actually two of the top three bowlers of the entire day for uh, the Division II tournament. Uh, Gentner had a six-game score of 1,391 pins. Uh, Connolly had the third-best uh, six-game series with a score of 1,304. Um Connolly had the high game for Lansingburg uh, with a 259, and Gethner rolled a 258 in his during his series. So uh, obviously Lansingburg came through big time. Um, and on the girls' side in the Division Two tournament, Cahos, well, they finished third with with a score of 5280, uh, which was. Uh, less than 100 pins behind runner-up Newark out of Section 5. Uh, Kirsten Tag she led uh, the Lady Tigers with a series score of 1,170 pins. Um, Abby Hauser, she had an 1124 series, which included the high game for Cohoes, which was a 217. So, uh, obviously, big performances from our two small school representatives. Um... As far as the other aspects of the state bowling championships, if you can give me one moment. Um, uh, Division one, Columbia was, I think, eighth. Well, they finished with a score of 5918. Uh, Kyle Fortin, he led the way with a 1282 series. Uh, Zachary Bargoltz, he had a 12.56 series and a high game of 2.58. Um, on the girls' side in Division One, Mahanison, 
They finished fifth with a score of 53-49. Uh, Amber Lupi, uh, she led the uh, Mighty Warriors with a 12-17 series, which included a 246 high game. And Elizabeth DiLorenzo, she wrote a 11-12 series, but that included the high game for Mahasin with a 253. Um, so obviously, good performances right there. Um, the Section 2 teams, they also turned in some strong performances. On the boys' side, the leader from the Section 2 team was Frank Aiello from Shaker. He had a 12-27 series, which included a 223 high game. Uh, Andrew Apollo from Gilderland he had an 11-72 series, which included a 242 high game. And Chan or Sean DeMeza from Kanjahari, he had the high game for the Section 2 team with a 258 as part of an 11-22 series. And for the Section 2 girls team, your top bowlers there, um, Carolyn Joltis of Middleburg. Um, she had a 1232 series and a 244 high game. And Kitty Polamine of Schenectady, she had an 1142 series. And Leah Henkel had a 225 high game as part of 1125 series. So congratulations to all the Section 2 bowlers that competed out there in Syracuse at the state championships. And we'll probably see a bunch of them back next year. So, congratulations once again. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. I'd like to thank Travis Jackson from HV Pucks from, for joining us again this week to talk about what happened out in Buffalo. Next week, we'll be wrapping up the high school basketball season uh, with the state tournament and start talking a little bit about what's coming up with spring sports. For now, this is Rob Jonas from CapitalRegionHighSchoolSports.com reminding you that we post a new podcast episode every Friday. And if you have any comments or suggestions or questions, please feel free to email those to editor at capitalregionhssports.com and I will be sure to respond. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. Catch you next week on Capital Region High School Sports, the podcast. <laughs>